Father, we thank you that you are our help and our deliverer, that you are the God who forgives sin. And we pray that you would teach us about that today so that we might understand, so that we might live what we believe. And prepare our hearts, Lord, to come to your table today in the clear light of your word. Help us to examine ourselves, as your word says, to come clean with you, to come back to the table, not to negotiate with you, but to receive your grace and your mercy. Oh, merciful Father, we come to you. Where else would we go? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What if our failures are not fatal? Lakato coins that phrase in one of his books. What if our failures are not fatal? I wonder if we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Karl Barth said, every day we may, we ought to begin the day with this confession. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Why don't we start our day that way? Just say it with me. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. In my personal experience, I believe more in the forgiveness of sins as it relates to God forgiving me than I do about me forgiving others. And yet Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that these two are inseparably linked, that they are inextricably intertwined, that our forgiveness from God has everything to do with our forgiveness of others and our forgiveness of others has something to do with our forgiveness from God. And so we pray honestly to God like the psalmists who pray the imprecatory prayers and start out uh, calling down curses on their enemies but at least they are bringing their anger into the presence of the one who can do something about it. I hear this in the prayer of the apostle. You remember that movie, Robert Duvall, one of my favorite actors who uh, returns from an evangelistic trip to discover that both his church and his wife have been stolen by one of his associates and he has nowhere to go except to his mother's house and there he prays and oh my does he pray before it's over with the neighbors are calling because they hear him praying and all his mother can say is, It's been that way since he was a little boy. Sometimes he talks to God. Sometimes he yells at God. We hear it. Listen to it with me this morning. Hear the honesty of his confession as he brings his anger into the presence of the Lord. Is that the way you pray? I mean, when nobody's looking, is that the way you pray? Look, he's not right, but there's hope that he can get right because he's taking 
his honest anger and even his own confession. What does he say? I know I'm a sometimes womanizer, but I'm your servant, he says. And I need your peace. And at least he knows this, that there is peace nowhere else except in God who forgives sin. Would you open your Bibles with me? Let's think about prayer today. Let's learn about prayer. We've enrolled in the school of Christ to learn how to pray so that we can build a community of prayer because we believe if we build a community of prayer, everything will change. And if you ask me what will change, I say we will change. And if we change, then maybe God can change our city. Maybe God can change our world by using us as instruments of change. Let's stand together. Matthew chapter six, you know these verses. We said that's the problem. We know them too well. So let's hear them with fresh ears today. Matthew six, verse nine. I'm gonna go ahead and read through verse 15 because verses 14 and 15 amplify verse 12. This then, disciples, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not Forgive your sins. You may be seated. I gathered around with Mary Caldwell's family yesterday up on the sixth floor of Memorial City. She had just gone to be with the Lord and we needed to pray. And somebody said, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. And I was reminded how much comfort this prayer brings to us. As we pray it, it it brings us back. It calls us back into the presence of God. There's familiarity there that gives us some comfort. And I understand that until I get to verse 12. And when I say to God, forgive me as, and that word as looms so large. It's as if it's been highlighted in my Bible, certainly in my mind. It's inescapable, isn't it, that I am asking God to forgive me in the same way that I have forgiven others. And that's a daunting kind of prayer for people like us who sometimes harbor grudges against others. What do we mean when we pray this prayer? Well, certainly we start out with God, as we said, with his name and his rule and his will. And then we come to our needs, what we call the we petitions. And we start with bread because we all need bread. And so we ask God for bread. But it occurred to me this week, every bit as much as we need bread, we need forgiveness. And every bit as much as we need to be forgiven, we need to forgive others. And with that little word as, Jesus keeps us on the hook. He doesn't let us go, does he? 
In fact, as I read this this week, I, I thought, do we dare pray this prayer? And then as I thought further, I realized, do we dare not pray this prayer? We pray the disciples' prayer because we know that we need to be forgiven. So in Luke chapter 11, he talks about forgive us our sins. And in verse 12 here, it's forgive us our debts. And in verses 14 and 15, it's forgive us our trespasses. In answer to the question from the book of common prayer, is it debts, is it trespasses? Yes, it is. It's sins and debts and trespasses. Somebody said, in a bankruptcy court that the bailiff says, will all the debtors please rise? And we would all have to stand, wouldn't we? Because we're sinners, that word means we've missed the mark. Because we're debtors, we owe. Because we're trespassers, we've stepped over the line. And all of these are just different ways of describing our sin. I think of that man who had laid out of church for a long time and, and came back at the pleading of his family, went into an Episcopal church and they were praying that collective prayer before the Lord's Supper where they say, we have not done the things we ought to have done and we have done the things we ought not to have done. And he smiled and sighed a sigh of relief and said, looks like this is my kind of crowd. Well, that's who we are. We've done things that we shouldn't have done, sins of commission. We've not done things that we should have done. Those are sins of omission. But in answer to the question, what's wrong with the world, we raise our hands with G.K. Chesterton and say, I am. I'm what's wrong with my world. I am guilty. I have sinned. And when we pray this prayer, we're saying something about ourselves. We're admitting at least that we know that we are sinners, we are debtors, we are trespassers, and we need to be forgiven. And when we pray forgive, we're also saying something about God. We're acknowledging that he's not only the kind of father who gives bread to his children when they are hungry, but he is also the kind of God who forgives us our debts. Isn't that good news? Anybody else here celebrate that? To know that we can be forgiven our debts. John Ortberg tells about speaking at Azusa Pacific University. One of his daughters was graduating. They gathered with the president and a lot of the administration and professors. They brought in three students and said, these three students are going to be missionaries to the poorest of the poor in India. We just wanted you to see what our students do. The students had no idea. They thought they were just going to be welcomed and recognized, maybe uh, get a, a little bit of food before the ceremony. But then the president, John Walker, walked in and said, I've just received a gift from an anonymous donor and he pointed at the first student and said you owe how much on your college education 105,000 and you 70,000 and you 130,000 and it has all been liquidated you don't owe a thing now go to India and serve the poorest of the poor wouldn't you wouldn't we celebrate that wouldn't we rejoice Gabriel sang it when I was standing in a tent at a revival beside Waco Creek when I was in college. He paid a debt he did not owe. 
I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. But now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. No wonder the group Glad sings their theme song, Be Ye Glad, Be Ye Glad, Be Ye Glad. Every debt that you ever had has been paid up in full by the grace of the Lord. Be ye glad, be ye glad, be ye glad. One thing we know for sure when we ask for forgiveness is that this is not something we can do for ourselves. The debt is too high. If we lived a thousand lifetimes, we couldn't pay it off. We hear it even in the same gospel of, of Matthew when Jesus teaches that parable in, in chapter 18, verses 21 to 35, and he contrasts um, two debtors, and there's a king who wants to liquidate his, uh, his debts and um, make peace with those who owe him, and there's one man who owes him this enormous sum of money, 10,000 talents. Don't confuse a talent with a denarius, a talent is 15 years of wages, and this man owes 10,000 of those. 150,000 years of wages he owes and he walks in and the king says, you're forgiven. That's what forgive means, you're released. You're released in a way that restores the relationship. What's 150,000 years of wages between me and thee, the king says. Don't you think the man was glad, but the story goes on to say he was not glad enough because he ran into a man who owed him 100 denarii, which is 100 days wages, over three months wages, no paltry sum, unless you compare it to 150,000 years of wages. But he looks at that man and says, give me what you owe me. And he grabs him by the lapels and through his teeth says, give me what you owe me. What? I mean, he's been forgiven. Somebody said, well, it'd be like he's been forgiven 10 million. Somebody calculated in today's dollars 15 years ago and said, no, it's like 600 million. I did the math. Today's dollars, it's 10 gazillion dollars. He's been forgiven. But for the sake of three months and 10 days wages, by comparison, a nickel, no, no small thing, but by comparison, not much. He cannot forgive. And the rest of the story is not a happy one for him. Because now, since he demands that another pay, he will also get to pay his debt, which he can never repay. Jesus said, if you get to the altar and you know somebody has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go to that one. We pray the disciples' prayer because we know we need to be forgiven. And we pray the disciples' prayer because we learn that we need to know how to forgive others. And Jesus is not saying here, if we'll forgive others, then we earn God's forgiveness. This is not works righteousness. It, this is not stepping outside the whole context in the New Testament and showing us a different way. But it is certainly showing us this, that you and I can never fully experience the grace of God and his forgiveness in our lives until we extend it freely to others. And we extend it to them certainly for their sake but we extend it to others for our sake 
as well. This is not the time to say, well, I'll forgive them today, but they better watch out tomorrow. This is the time to say, I can't believe that he has forgiven me, but since he has, I will freely forgive others. And I read this this week, and in a time of prayer, and I invite you to do the same this week, I just opened my journal and I said, Lord, give me the names of the people that I have not forgiven. Who are the ones who have wronged me that I will not let go and in view, in full view of the mercies of God, of the love that will not let me go, God help me to let go, to release not grudgingly, not with white knuckled grip, but let me release and restore relationship as you have restored my relationship with you. Because if I don't, N.T. Wright says, I have cut off the branch that I am standing on. If I don't forgive, Augustine said, and I pray this prayer, I am literally asking God, he called it the terrible petition. I'm asking God, not to forgive me if I don't forgive and pray this prayer. Spurgeon put it even more plainly. He said, we sign our own death warrant if we refuse to forgive and we pray this prayer. And perhaps this prayer is a reminder to us that God is not like us. He is the God who forgives. And even better, we can become like him. We can be transformed into a people who live in redeemed, right relationships with others. Because we have been forgiven, we can forgive. And to forgive is to set a prisoner free, Lewis Smead said, and to discover that that prisoner is me. We were in Zambia a few years ago and met a young man named Mulanga, a passionate preacher and leader in the school there at Northrise. He had a story to tell about his days in college when inexplicably the president of the university, Moffat Zimba, was trying to make a point in a theology class and pointed right at Mulanga and said, Mulanga here could go to prison someday. Malenga didn't appreciate the example very much, but that was the first of three times somebody prophesied over him while he was in college and said, someday Malenga will be in prison. It was after he finished college that he went over to Tanzania with a man who was starting orphanages. And when they got there, they were pulled over by police and both summarily thrown into jail. He was beaten nearly to death that night by five men. The next morning while he was praying, they asked him to pray for them. He did. They were released, but he was retained. The man he was with was a con man, a shyster, a, a fraud, a one who was taking advantage of orphans, not helping orphans. And because he was with him in the car, he was assumed to be his collaborator and they were both left in prison. The other man tried to take his own life, but failed and lay there in a comatose state and and something in Mulanga said, I need to help him. But the prison warden said, don't do it because they'll think you really are his friend and then you will never 
get out of here, let him die. But Malanga read Matthew chapter 5, the chapter before, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who harm you. And he nursed that man back to life again. And then when Malanga would pray and preach in the prison, the other man would weep. And one day they put the other man on the witness stand and said, was Malanga your collaborator? And the man said, no, he was just riding in the car with me. He didn't know anything about my past. And Malanga said, if I had let him die, I would still be in prison. But because I helped him, I am free. And Jesus teaches us to forgive because he knows what we must know that if we fail to forgive, we are unable to experience God's forgiveness. Larry Heslip has up in his conference room a beautiful table that looks for all the world like a door because it once was a door to one, one of the doors to our worship center before we moved into this room and they've turned it into a table. Who knew a door could become a table? But I come to you with even better news this morning. This table can become a door for you to find God's forgiveness, for us to offer forgiveness to others. And I wonder if we will forgive others. I wonder if we will receive God's forgiveness today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for amazing grace and love. And help us, I pray, Lord, today to open our hearts to receive your forgiveness. And help us, Father, to forgive others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.